radio? Yes, talk radio. So boring, man. Okay. <laughs> take you down. Tuesday, July 21st, 2020. This is the Laced Up Hockey Podcast, and I am James Cole. Uh, hi, I'm Bruce Battaglia from the north side. Uh, you might also know me from uh, other places such as uh, Twitter. Um, I'm loosely based on a former Toronto Maple Leaf forward, Bates Battaglia, uh, inspired by, you might even say. Um, I used to work for a website called Puck Seventy Seven. They they don't they're not around anymore. And um, that's actually that's it. That's those are the only three things I've ever done in my life. So, uh, Bates Bataglia, uh under or over a hundred games as a Leaf. Ooh, uh, ooh. Uh, you know what? I honestly think it's. I think it might be under because I think he only played the one full year. And I want to say he was with the Marlies most of the next year. Like, I want to say he was only one full year as a Leaf, but I could be wrong. It might be two. Do you have the answer? I do. I, I'm uh, going, he played I'm, 95 games. Yeah? Nice. Yeah. yeah. Well, former Toronto Maple Leaf forward. you got to think in the late 2000s, it's pretty good. Like, you know what I mean? You, you, like, there are a lot of guys who, like, played, like, 40, 50 games. Uh, you ever just look at a stat sheet? For like a leaf season where you clearly watched like ninety percent of the games and you'll just see a name and you're like I I don't remember him playing there it'll be like sixty five games like do you remember Jamie Lundmark being a leaf he played like fucking fifty games there no Jamie Lundmark there was like Joaquin Lidstrom or Nordstrom one of those Joaquins not Phoenix but one of the other ones uh Jamie Lundmark was never a leaf I don't yeah. I don't yeah they got him off waivers. Uh, I remember thinking at the time, oh, that might be a Boyd Devereaux type pickup, and he did not have Boyd Devereaux level success in Toronto, that's for sure. Uh, Bates Pataglia, uh, over or under 200 points in his career? Ooh. I'm going under. 198. He, he, he had a good, like a decent career, but he wasn't a point getter. I don't really know what he was, um, to be honest with you. Like, if I really think back on it, I'll watch some of the games. He's not bad. Holy shit. But I don't... He had a hundred penalty... He had a hundred penalty minute season. Well, I, I mean, he was a tough guy. He could, like, But he didn't really throw his body around that much either. I don't know. He was weird. Like, I guess, like, I guess he was a power forward. I guess. If he had to... And he wasn't very big, though, was he? Like, six feet? Uh, he was 6'2". Oh, okay. That's good. That's big. Yeah. Bigger than me. Played for Lake Superior State. That's no, that not was, a state uh, college. That's not a state. Yeah. Nope. Um. Okay. So yeah, this is this is getting a little off topic, but no, it, it it's hockey, I guess, at least, and it's not like we're coming in talking gibberish off the off the top of the show. Uh, you know, music, movies, sitcoms, perhaps. How's uh How's it been? It's 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 been a bit. It's been a while. Uh, yeah. Were we out last week? Did we, did we have one last week? No, it's been it's been almost no? two weeks, no. um, which is kind of nice because there's a lot of stuff to get to this week. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm kind of past the point now where, uh, like, I would say quarantine is is over. 
uh, for me, because I I, I go do things now. I mean, like, I'm not saying, like, I'm, uh, you know, out on the town or anything like that, but, like, I, I'm, like, back to work at two jobs. I mean, I haven't been to work at either of them, but I'm, I'm golfing a lot. Like, I'm, I'm not really, like, in the house all the time anymore, so I'm not really watching as much shit. And when I have been watching stuff, it's been... I've been kind of, re- like, rehashing some of my favorites lately, so I haven't watched a ton of, like, new movies and stuff like that. I did have a day uh, last week where I wasn't doing anything, and the weather was horrible, so I figured I was going to have a movie day. And I watched two of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life, and I decided I couldn't... I didn't have a third in me. I wasn't going for the hat trick. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's fine. Yeah. yeah. Um... You talk about going back to work. How how far do you think we are from hanging the uh, "We Survived uh, COVID" banner uh, outside the, our windows? Is that gonna is that gonna be soon, or is it gonna be a bit? Like I mean, like even 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 once there's a vaccine, that's sort of got the feeling of like you're up five one with four minutes left, and you're and you're dangling at the blue line and shit. You know what I mean? Like it just seems like. You gotta run Patrick out the clock Stephane a bit. breakaway with I, an open net. Yeah, I don't think I'm gonna fucking hang that banner ever. But that's cool if people want to do that, I guess. I I uh, would rather put, uh, like, in in uh, in January of next year, I would rather hang a I Survive 2020 banner. Because COVID is almost not even the most threatening thing to us at this point, uh, with all the other stuff going on, you know? Yeah. Elon Musk is um, a super villain, and, you know. Theo Fleury had a had a weird one today uh, on Twitter. He was talking about uh, the the vaccine talk. There's some there's a vaccine that is they're saying is kind of close uh, that's coming out of the UK and yep. and uh, it's looking promising. And and he fired up on Twitter saying that he wants like a a list of the ingredients and 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 why are you going to put this in me and why are you going to put this in me and I want to know what's in this vaccine. And it was a really weird take for a guy that like did blow for most of the nineties, but. Um. Um, Theo Fleury yeah. has, as much as I support um, a lot of things about Theo Fleury, uh, Theo Fleury has some really interesting outlooks on a lot of stuff. So um, I'm not really surprised that he would be like a borderline anti-vaxxer. Uh, yeah. And I don't, I don't really blame people for like being curious as to what's in it. Um, but here's the interesting thing: is those people are then going to go look up every ingredient individually because they are going to have no idea what any of it is when they first hear the name of it, uh, and then they're going to read something online that tells them it's bad, and then they're just going to think it's <clears throat> uh, harmful for some reason. So, mm-hmm. like, like most of the, you got to you got to remember, James. A lot of these anti-vaxxers think that these uh, vaccines are uh, just trying to to turn us slowly into cattle. So that way, when we uh, when we run out of cows, uh, you can just turn the human population into into cattle, and that that you know f- uh, makes our resources more. Uh, uh, anybody else watch Soylent Green this afternoon? No, I like I, I it's I don't know like these people are very weird and I don't know. I guess I'm not. So surprised. would that make us? <clears throat> would that make us all just like gods in India then at that point? Um, yeah, I mean, whatever. I I I think being a god might be cool. Uh, you know, I've seen the Simpsons, so it seems like being a god's pretty chill. Okay. Um you mentioned you you had a little movie night the other night. I've been uh I've been rewatching New Girl cuz cuz uh, why wouldn't you? Um yeah, big fan New, of that show. New Girl very much seems like your equivalent of 
um, and I could be wrong, but like what what the office is for me, in the sense that I will just throw on one episode before bed just for something light to watch and then end up rewatching like five seasons of it. Like it's just a slippery slope. Once I'm in, I'm in and it's just then it happens. I've seen The Office Maybe. probably a dozen times all the way through. And it literally yeah. just starts from me turning it on one night and then like a week later I'm four seasons deep. I, I definitely do that with the seventies show. Um Yeah I'm doing that right now, now with that 70s show. It's not even it's not even funny anymore. I gotta I gotta stop watching that show because it's just not even—it's not even like entertainment anymore. It's just like okay, I'm reciting each each scene yeah, by, by it's memory. Yeah, that point. I I think all the about, I think all the time about how weird it is to me, how many times I've probably seen every episode of Seinfeld, and it just like I honestly don't even know what's coming half the time. Like I I don't think there are more than maybe like one or two episodes that I can like come close to reciting. Every time I watch it, I just like I'll, I'll. There's a new scene that I don't remember or something, and I've seen it tons of times. So like, it does suck to have a show where maybe it's like not growing stale, but you you maybe need to take a break from. I guess that seventy show would be for you. Yeah. Uh, so like, where would where would you put New Girl in like the the ranking of like all time sitcoms? Ooh. Because, like, we're, we're talking about a couple heavy hitters here. Like, you know, you've mentioned The Office, you mentioned Seinfeld. Like, I'm a big 70s show guy, but, like, is is New Girl yeah. in that plateau? Is it a plateau below? Well, because I remember seeing a tweet. Uh, I actually forgot this was on the breakdown. I remember seeing a tweet this week that um, said that New Girl's not, not even... Because you hear all the time New Girl's underrated. And then the tweet was like, New Girl's not underrated. It's just straight up one of the best like comedies of all time and I was kind of thinking about it and I'm like I don't really know why it doesn't get more recognition um I think the issue with New Girl might be is the humor is kind of more for like a niche audience like I don't really know if like the older person would find it funny it's very much like a millennial comedy so I think that's why it like sort of resonates with us a little bit more than like critics and stuff like that because it's not like a super well-reviewed show it technically got canceled i don't know like it is a weird one though like it's it's top 30 easily for me i don't know if it breaks the plane for 20 though for top 20 i don't know if it's quite there it is really good it could be a show that that grows fonder in time too like you know yeah like the I, the office he, has become more appreciated since it ended. Like it was obviously well reviewed, but like not a lot of people watched it while it was on TV. Way more people, like everyone's seen it now. Everyone discovered it a few years later, and it's now become the like quintessential comedy, right? And it wasn't really initially in Parks and Rec's kind of the same thing. Like I I didn't really watch it when it was on TV, and I watch it now, and it's like for sure it's one of the funnier shows I've ever seen. So. Here's here's my theory with New Girl and and why it maybe doesn't get the same level of recognition. Um, I think it just it came out at the wrong time. Like 2011 was its its debut season, and like Netflix was just coming into its stride in like 2011 2012. So that was around the time people stopped watching so much like week to week TV shows. They wanted their binge. They wanted The Office where they could just sit down and watch a season in a week. Yeah. They, you know, they they wanted these streaming services where they can get into a show, and then like 
like New Girls on Netflix, but like it's kind of come and gone. Like it hasn't really been a mainstay, and obviously because it was, you know, putting out new content at the same time, you'd have to wait for the next season, and then like you'd probably move on to something else, and and like forget about New Girl. And I I don't know. Like I I've never met someone that's like put it on and given it an honest go and hasn't liked it. Yeah, but I I just don't think people are giving it a go. I mean, the funny thing is too is like. New Girl and Happy Endings came out around the same time, and I kind of look at them in the same sort of vein. And one criticism I would give, not New Girl directly, but just the way um, New Girl was when it came out, was it wasn't marketed very well. Like, I remember seeing commercials for it on TV and just thinking, like, who is that show for? Because it didn't really look like a chick flick sort of show. There's more guys in the main cast than there are girls. But it also, like, didn't really seem something that, like, I would sit around and, like, joke about with, with my friends or anything like that. So I couldn't really figure out what, the, like, who that show was for. Whereas, like, Happy Endings was more, like, you know, it, it, like, hopped around a little bit more with flashbacks initially than New Girl did. And New Girl started doing that more as time went on. But it was almost like watching, like, a live-action, like, Friends sort of mixed with, like, a sketch show a little bit. You know what I mean? Mm Because there would be, like, a 15-second long joke that was just outlandish. Almost like Family Guy kind of thing. So, like, with Happy Endings, I'm watching it, and I'm like, yeah, this is kind of Friends, just way modernized. Whereas with New Girl, I was watching it, and I guess you could make the Friends comparison. But I remember just looking and thinking, like, who exactly is the main character? And, like, you know not like a superstar studded cast at the time either so like i think marketing was probably a big issue with new girl too damon wayans jr uh, appearing in both uh, new girl and happy endings uh, so if you're a fan of the wayans family that's right uh, give those shows a go uh who's the best wayans are you a keenan ivory man i i'm probably a marlin man myself yeah. but i i i'm honestly uh, i i think damon wayans jr is actually the funniest one like i actually think he's the funniest wayans yeah, he he might be. He just I don't know if he's got the body, you know, yeah. like the body of work. Even that, did you ever not... see that movie Let's Be Cops that yeah. he was in? The movie wasn't great, but he was so funny in it. Like it, it's it's pretty good, like mostly because of him, but Oh yeah, him him and Jake Johnson meet on New Girl like, "Hey, want to make a movie about being cops?" Yeah. Yes. And then like like Jake Johnson in Let's Be Cops is essentially like he's pretty much just Nick Miller if Nick Miller was given a gun and yeah. badge. Like, it's it's the same character. Like, yeah. Let's be honest Well, and that's, that's the thing, right? Like, at least, like, Jake Johnson's, like, a little more, like, a... Almost like a deadpan sort of guy. Whereas Damon Wayans <laughs> yeah. is a little more, like, outlandish and, like, he can sing and hop around and he's just, like, a little more crazy. So you can do more with him, kind of, in a script. That's the problem, right? Mm-hmm. Jake Johnson's a little limited, kind of, what you can do with him. Um, as much as I love the guy, but... Yeah. Um... Okay, I, I I I like how I said we weren't gonna we started the show off with hockey and we weren't gonna talk about this stuff and then we talked about this. Yeah, stuff, speaking so. of Let's Be Cops, best Rob Riggle role. Go. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. Wow. It's, it's that took a turn. It's Step Brothers, though, isn't it? With Rob Riggle, like Kobayashi. Yeah, yeah probably. Yeah, I've seen him do I'm it. I'm not gonna. I'm not like I'm Kobayashi. Not Wikipedia. I'm not opening Wikipedia again. Sorry. Okay. I'm um, going Step Brothers for Rob Riggle. Edmonton is underwater. The whole city is flooded. <laughs> the The water came down from the oh, mountains man. and it seeped into the city. And because you know how close the mountains are to the city, right? Yeah. So it came down the mountains came, and now came the city, down from on high. 
it's basically Atlantis. Like all all of northern Alberta has pretty much descended. It's kind of like it's it's down. It's it's into like the oil pits now, where like you got to like it, the fossils and. Are you saying the compromise, like the tectonic plates, are compromised? Is that what we're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying. Okay. Uh, do Rogers, you, do place. you think it's going to turn into eventually? Then, in like 50 years, it might be like a like a San Andreas situation, or San Andreas, the San Andreas Fault. You see that movie, oh. The Battle of Fucking. I was like, I was like, what happened in Grand Theft Auto no. San Andreas that I'm not remembering? No, actually, I meant the um, the Rock movie that wasn't based on um, uh, Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. Unfortunately. Mm didn't see it i would um, have seen san andreas had i known it was going to be grand theft auto adjacent but once i found out it wasn't fair <laughs> 17 we've minutes got, into this uh, so. <laughs> we've got about a week is it's about a week until the oilers and flames are supposed to play a preseason game yeah in edmonton and rogers place uh suffered a i don't want to say substantial because I wasn't at the scene and we haven't seen a lot of like first-hand accounts as to how how bad it actually was but it looked pretty fucking bad from that one video uh, as uh, rain was just gushing in from the roof um, yeah I I will say I guess one slightly positive thing but I'm I can't even confirm that this is true um all right, listen. I'm just going to tell a quick little story here. I, I have been to the rink, which is is fun because uh, when you listen to other hockey podcasts, most other people have never been to this rink. There's no reason for like Elliot Friedman to ever go to Rogers or Rogers Place. Like Greg Wasinski's never been there. No one on Puck Soup's been there. Spit and Chicklets guys have been out of the league since this fucking rink opened. Unless they're going to games there, there's no like I've never heard anyone ever talk about this rink other than people who live in Edmonton. I've been there. I have the benefit of saying I'm 45% sure that the rink is above ground 45? level. 45? Well, and that's why the, that's why I'm going to finish the story. Is uh, the lone time that I have been to the rink, I was really drunk. But I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure you come in the doors and you go up. If I remember correctly. Whereas a lot of rinks, you come in the main doors and you're like on the 200 level already and the, and the rink goes down. Like a lot of rinks are like that, but I'm pretty sure Roger's place goes up. What I'm saying is, is I think the actual like facility is fine. From from my understanding of how that rink would work. Because the water is not going to rush up. You know, it's just going to stay at ground level. So I think it's just like the main, like main floor concourse is damaged, but I don't know that for sure. So just to recap, you you lose about like thirty percent of that to the drunkenness, another fifteen percent on just basic memory, like you know maybe I maybe I didn't take it all in. Where's that other ten percent coming from? Uh, the ten percent being that the rink was not finished at the time, and therefore it, the main concourse was just concrete on the floor with concrete walls and it just felt like walking through a warehouse so when i'm remembering what i actually remember in my head i could be remembering different parts of the rink because it all looked the same okay the math checks out then yeah it it just it just looked like you ever been in like a like a like a 
they're going to build like a shopping mall or something, but it's not quite finished. You ever been in like a new sort of big building and it's just like yeah. this big yeah. open thing? That's what Roger's place was like. No, yeah. Great for facility, sure. no, you, though, you, for sure. You, you said 45%. Uh, I, I don't like it when people just pull out random statistics no. and, and try to make a case for it. Well, no, it but basically out. what we're saying is that there's like a 50-50% chance that the NHL is going to just abandon Edmonton at this point. Yeah. And uh, we're going to have to play these games in Moose Jar or something. So. <laughs> yeah, did you hear about this? Uh, freaking uh, yeah. fucking Spawn Movie Ranch is going to be the host of the fucking... Fuck, you, you went on a rant about those on uh, Twitter, eh? Those were... Like, it was getting to the point where I'm reading them and I can't even, like, keep up. I just think it's funny that, like, of 31 cities, they could have put 32... Like, actually, no. Like, 55 fucking cities they could have had it in. I just think it's funny Edmonton's one of them. I just think that's funny. It's funny to me. Um... This is going to be fine, apparently. Like, the the league says, like, there's there's nothing in, in compromising, like, any of the... You know, shit that you need to play hockey, like the rink or the dressing room. Here's the thing, James. So is like you'd be worried about it if you were selling tickets, right? Like if you're bringing people in and they were spending fifty bucks a pop to come into this rink. But like as of right now, no one's going to see these games. And by the time people do go, the rink should be fixed, if that happens at all. So like, like what are we talking about here? The players are going to be a little bit more uncomfortable, maybe. Like as long as it doesn't damage the facilities they're using, which again, I'm forty five percent sure that it's not. Then there's nothing to complain about. Half these guys are going to wear shorts and flip flops to the games anyway, so they can just trek through the water. They they already said they don't have to wear suits, so who cares? It's a non-issue. Yeah, just go for a little swim, and you're at the game. So from from one hub city team uh, to the other, uh, Toronto. Um, uh, did you know that like if you're like if if you own like a house, okay, but like you you work I'm for following. like a company, sure, and you can write it and off. then you want to use your house when you're not working for the company. Apparently, the company can say, uh, "Hey, don't use that house that you you own." Isn't that wild? It is kind of weird. Yeah, because that's kind of what happened with the Leafs. Uh, they they were told that they uh, they can't use their their big practice facility in the summer um, because they're too rich and other teams don't have practice facilities. It's just like it's so sickening to me to think that like like every other team in the league doesn't have some other sort of distinct advantage. Like, there's so many, like, if you want to nitpick, you could find something about every single team in the fucking NHL, probably, where they have an advantage over, like, other teams in, in some regard. The fact that, like, we're gonna we're gonna say that, oh yeah, okay, so yeah, it sucks that, like, every single player who's ever played for the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, takes more money to play there because they, the city's a fucking hellhole, uh, you know, like... You know, that doesn't mean anything, but the fact that the Leafs have, like, a facility that's just, like, they can afford to keep open 12 months a year is, like, a distinct disadvantage to other teams. Like, no, it's not. If the mm-hmm. if the Leafs want to build their team and pay fucking Mitch Marner $3 million or more a year than he, uh, he fucking should make, and they can uh, fill the rest of the roster spots by basically uh, bringing Tyler Ennis back to life over the course of a summer by letting him use this rink, then let him fucking do that. Because they're the team that's paying more for all these fucking guys anyway. And they own the rink. <laughs> yeah. It's a private facility. <laughs> so, so so what are you telling me? Like, they're, so okay, so they can't go there. So uh, what if um, just some independent company 
uh, you know, updates like Maple Leaf Gardens a little bit. We just fucking use that during the summer. Like, like what's stopping them from doing that? And it's not an official can, can, Maple Leaf facility. It's just a rink with can nice we send facilities. like everybody down to the Marleys in like June, and then the Marleys sure. can technically train at the facility. Why not Is fucking renovate Rico or... Coliseum for all I care? I don't care. Mm, they, this yeah. this team has bottomless fucking pit of money. You think they're not going to find a way around this? Of course they are. Oh yeah, because because yeah. they already are at disadvantage for so many other fucking things. Why not take advantage of the one thing they have, which is tons of money, and and like that that harkens back to the whole like we remember when Mike Babcock got like uh, signed to to be the coach, and it was like holy shit, the Leafs just gave Mike Babcock eight million dollars to coach hockey. He's like, yeah, because they really wanted him, and they were like, hey. What's your number? Because we will, like, exceed it by, like, 30% to make sure you come here. Because, uh, guess what, Mike? You don't count against the salary cap. So, what? like, here's our jet. Fly our jet wherever you want. And James, you're missing out on the key point that um, if the Leafs couldn't have afforded to do that and everyone was on a level playing field in terms of money, that the Buffalo Sabres would have finished 22nd instead of 29th the last fucking eight years. So That's true. Or however many That's years true. Babcock I- was in Toronto. I guess it was only four. Yeah, Jack Eichel under Mike Babcock would be a very interesting person. Imagine <laughs> lose, losing all the time, but getting screamed at for losing all the time. Yeah, and then... like I honestly, I I wonder. I don't know. Like I I don't. Yeah. I don't. I don't necessarily buy the narrative that like not everyone could get along with with Mike Babcock, and and maybe Eichel yeah. could. I don't know because Eichel, I don't. I don't really know what to make of that kid. Like just off the ice, I don't so, really know. I don't really get him like as a person, really. So the rink thing was was one which I I totally didn't get. What, what did you make of the referee scandal that that happened like two <laughs> days later? Uh, well, I've, I mean, I've seen some pushback here and there. <laughs> I I actually do not agree with Leafs Twitter on that. I I fully agree with the NHL. Um, and and the weird thing was was like everyone trying to like take pictures of other practices, and there was like. There's like a picture of a St. Louis Blues practice, and there was two uh, NHL officials on the ice. And you zoom in, and it's fucking Mark Savard and Steve Ott. Like, the, like these are guys who right. work for the team. These are coaches. Like, you know what I mean? You can fucking dress up any pony as a ref if you want. But I get the idea of of maybe not using like the the officials just um, uh, for a few reasons. I think there's just a lot of little things. It, it makes sense to not use them. I I don't really know why they would have thought that they were allowed to be used in the first place, but. It's worth a try. Well, I, I would imagine to. that like any team can go out and hire a referee. No, sure, you you could hire a uh, former guest of the podcast. Mike Wern is actually a, a registered uh, Hockey Canada official. Um, like you could hire fucking Mike to work your games, but the the difference is that Mike Wern is not like refing your actual NHL games in a week. And the problem with that is a uh, the more glaring issue is that. You know, if for some reason uh, a Toronto Maple Leaf is exposed to COVID, you don't want the referees being more at risk than they would have been initially, which makes sense, but it's also stupid because uh, if we're worried about that, why are we doing this in the fucking first place? And the other thing is uh, you don't really want the Leafs necessarily getting super fucking chummy with the referees too is another thing because I know there's a lot of like chatter uh, during the game between the refs and it's not uh, refs and the players and it's not all bad. Um, but I wouldn't want that really in a practice setting where it's a lot more casual and stuff like that. And, um, it does perhaps give the Leafs a little bit more of advantage. Again, I don't necessarily think that would happen, but I get the argument and it does make sense. Okay. Yeah. No, just, just curious. Like, um, 
I didn't hate that one. I think the practice facility one's the stupidest fucking thing I've ever. Oh, heard it's in my ridiculous. Life. But um, yeah, yeah, it's just uh, I don't know. I, I, the referee thing though makes total sense. It's just it's putting people at risk that really don't need to be. I sure do hope that the uh, NHL allows some sort of practice facility where the referees can get back up to speed because uh, sure would suck if uh, after four months off all these guys had like zero time to get into game shape and. Uh, too bad they don't have a team that could pay the the way for maybe getting those guys back up to game speed in Toronto. I was really getting excited to make a joke about how, uh, like on Twitter, about how when the Leafs were using referees at their practice, I was going to make a joke about how and eventually Austin Matthews and uh, like Mitch Marner are going to take Tim Peel down to the uh, NHL-sanctioned bar and have shots with him after the practice. And then I realized Tim Peel's not uh, taking part in this because he broke his leg. He's not. He's not part of the return to play. He's not. So I was looking forward to making Tim Peel drinking jokes, you know, because he drank with Greg Wyshynski the one night and got in trouble because he's not supposed to be a private person, I guess. Hey, Mr. Shanahan, can we uh, can we set up a facility at, at your practice uh, space for our referees to get back in game shape? <laughs> no, um, <laughs> that's what they should do with the practice facility when they're not using it, since they can't put players on it. They should let Tim Peel rehab there. And just getting his good books, because <laughs> you know, you know, Tim Peel is the typical like minor hockey ref where it's like, as long as you don't talk shit to him, he'll probably like get mad at the other team first and just not get mad at your team. Like he's not gonna like, you know, g- like give you d- a distinct advantage, but he's not gonna call as much shit against you either. You know, I feel like Tim Peel's the guy you could schmooze a little bit, oh, especially with a good bottle of scotch. Uh... I think it was tequila <laughs> they were drinking that night. Tequila, nice. That's wild. Um, Unfit to participate is the uh, newest slogan of every head coach in the National Hockey League as reporters uh, continue to ask why so-and-so was not at practice. Uh, The NHL has mandated that uh, the official response from teams has to be unfit to participate regardless of what the reason is. Does this make any sense to you, like, in the the big picture? Like, if, if Buddy's got a broken leg... And we all know he's got a broken leg. Why can't the team just say he's got a broken leg? Why do they have to say that he's unfit to participate? Um, well, I mean, here's the thing. is We were sort of bordering on this already with uh, upper and lower body injuries. So, I mean, this really isn't that far off from that. Because, like, from saying lower body injury... You watch a replay, you see a guy break his leg, you assume he broke his leg. I don't know why we're choosing something so gruesome. Um, but you assume he broke Tim his Peel. leg and not his ankle, or like popped a kneecap, or even just bruised his shin, something little like that. Um, you know, I, I, I guess like we were already sort of bordering on this this very vague term to begin with. So I don't really know if it's that different. I don't, you know what, I've always been someone I don't really need the injuries disclosed. Um... I, I, I for sure I would never disclose the injury if I didn't have to for immediate reasons if I were a coach or a team I uh, unless I have to I'm not going to tell anybody anything um I legit as a minor hockey coach would have another coach ask me why a player was missing time and I would legit say he had a lower body injury and they would just look at me like I was fucked and I thought it was funny that was mostly why I said it but it was also cuz like I didn't want to tell him you know, a month from now that, uh, yeah, he had to, like, re- learn how to re-skate, uh, or, sorry, learn how to skate again, because he, uh, you know, he forgot how to use his skates because he was off the ice for six weeks or something. 
And that and that's fair. Like I, I definitely see like there's a competitive advantage to not letting on what is going on with your players. But like the NHL is a business. Like they've mm-hmm. they're all over this new you know world of uh you know online betting, betting and yeah. and the gambling and everything. And you have to make that information like pervy to the public if if you if that's the route you're gonna take. So. Um, yeah, like, and I, and I, I, for the, I get it. it's like there's a COVID thing here, so you don't want to let on that certain guys have COVID or not. I'm just saying for the very obvious like situations where like, yeah. you know, everybody knows Buddy's leg is broken, then why can't we say it? But the problem is, is that like there was probably more like a way to be a little more transparent about it, but then Steve Simmons came out and said that Austin Matthews had coronavirus, and they kind of had to adapt the way that they were going to do this. Because this wasn't the way it was going to be a few weeks ago. This is something they just, like, brought up, like, I don't know, 10, 12 days ago. They're just, like, all of a sudden, yeah, no, uh, don't tell anyone what's wrong with anyone. We'll handle everything. Like, don't worry about it. It was one of those things, I'm I'm sure that there was a way to be a little bit more transparent about it. But as things happened, it wasn't really an option anymore. Yeah. Um, Going along with the unfit to participate, like, do do you think a lot of these are just bangs and bruises that we see with guys getting back in the swing of things or like is this just a sign that we've got a lot more covid cases oh, J- than James you, you didn't hear there was only uh, of 2600 people tested there's only two positive tests so we're good like there's no there's no covid outbreak no not at all it's interesting though because like you do see these guys that are deemed unfit to play and then they're there the next day yeah so is it a matter of like you know your your temperature was a little high when you got here. We swabbed you, but you're yeah, clear. Maybe. But you can't you can't practice. And then, I mean, I don't. I'm, know. I'm not going to speculate. Like I've, of all the hotels that these guys are staying in, and they're not even at the hotels yet. But like of all these hotels that these guys are staying in, I've only ever stayed in one of them. And I'm going to tell you, uh, not that I'm going to throw a hotel under the bus here, but have you ever stayed in a hotel where you just go to set the temperature in the room and there's no fucking way to make it colder than it is? Windows don't open in the fucking hotel rooms like 25 degrees and you just gotta sleep in there. And then you gotta wake up and go to the rink and your temperature's high and they send you home. Like, that might be something that happens in a few weeks. Because, uh, you know, gotta tell you, the Royal York is uh, 300 years old or something like that. There there was no way for me to, to change the temperature in that room. Oh shit, did I say, did I say the hotel name? Oh no. 300 years old i like that it's it's old as fuck um, though like it's like it's like at least oh, 100, yeah. 110 years old i would say no oh, yeah definitely um we've we do have uh i've been trying to keep a list but uh we do have a couple guys that said that they were not coming back um uh i i was able to to get five guys i don't know if you have any more on your end but travis hamannick uh Sven barchi robin polak mike green and carl alsner uh, all have stated that they will not be back, including assistant coach Mike Kitchen, uh, who will not be returning Travis, as well. Just say the names again. Travis Hamannick. Hamannick, Berchie, Polak, Green, and Alsner. Stephen Kampfer. Um, I thought there was one more, but that might be the last one. But yeah, yeah. it wasn't a huge list of guys. It wasn't as, uh, it wasn't as long a list as I thought it was going to be. I thought we were going to be looking minimum 20, 25 guys. Um... Yeah, I'm kind of surprised. I mean, there are a few situations too, like like Capo Caco didn't report immediately. Um, kind of waited a few days because he's a diabetic. Uh, Max Domi just uh, reported Domi, today. Yeah. 
Uh, they had a thing seven to ten days. They were going to wait and see how everything went. Seven to ten days into it, everything looks all right with the Canadians, apparently. So Max Domi's returning. So I guess uh, I guess like there there were a few cases of guys kind of waiting it out to see what it would happen. And I I, I know, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, it's it, it's a smaller list than I thought it would be. Uh, Hamannick's not a guy that surprised me. No one really surprised me on the list. Uh, there was a few names I was surprised not to see on the list, but I also don't necessarily know everything about their personal situation, so it's not really for me to judge. Mike Green is an interesting one uh, on that list, just in the sense that he, he this is a guy that comes over on the trade deadline, he plays two games for the Oilers, and then boom, that's it. His uh, his contract expires, so he's going to be a free agent, uh, presuming that the you know they don't come to a deal. I mean, like I, I guess there's the Ken Holland connection there. I, I guess anything could happen. Um, but there was a fourth round pick with like conditions if the Oilers make the conference finals and Green plays half the games, so that that clearly isn't going to happen. Like I I don't know. Like the list of guys that that we have here, like it's it's not exactly a, a who's who. Of, of players, these are these are guys that I I, I would say maybe aside from Hamannick, um, were on the fringe for the most part. Like you, you know, sixth, seventh defenseman, thirteenth forward type of guys. Where you're gonna put me in a bubble for five weeks and I can't see my family or leave, and oh, I might not play hockey at all. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I mean, Sven Sven Berchi got put on waivers, so you know you can't. You can't ever consider him a major part of the Canucks at this point because yeah. anytime a team puts a guy on waivers, you're 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 on borrowed time there probably. So, you know, there's that. Uh, Carl Alsner, I I'm I understand why it was news, but I I don't even know if Carl Alsner was going to make the 31 man roster. Like he, as far as I know, was playing limited minutes in Laval. Like I don't even think he was up with Montreal by the end of the year. Um, so, I mean, he's a minor league player as far as I know. Uh, yeah, I yeah. mean, Hamannick's, Hamannick's a, a big loss. You, you can't fault him at all for not going. But, um, that's a bit of a tough one for sure. That's, that's, uh, an experienced defender with a lot of poise that, you know, you could rely on in a deep playoff run if you needed to. And considering you're playing a Jets team where all they have is their offense and you're a Flames team and all you have is your defense and... You lose one of your best defensemen, it's kind of, well, I don't know what to really, you know, make of that necessarily. But they do have a lot of depth, so I don't know if it's going to kill them, but it's it's a, still a big loss. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think you touched on it, but, like, I, I will emphasize that I, I am surprised there weren't more guys that said that they weren't going to come back. Like, I, I figured we were due for, like, almost a, a guy per team average i would say you know guys in this you know area of the lineup where they're just like yeah i'm i'm 35 years old my you know parents are old as fuck and <laughs> i might not play hockey for the next six months or six weeks but you want me to come live inside a bubble um yeah i don't know i i, I don't know I, does that does that speak more to like the 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 culture that is around the game of hockey or is this just kind of a perfect storm in a sense well I, I would imagine there the, like there was a lot of talk um, from higher ups in the NHL guys that are in the know guys that informed um, 
that there was a large consensus that a lot of these guys didn't have an interest in coming back. Um, you know, there were a lot of reports, a lot of names that got thrown out there specifically of guys that, you know, very likely would opt out. Like, Philip Deneau was a guy, um, you know, there, there, there were a lot of names on the list. So, I, I sort of wonder how much of it is hockey culture and them just deciding, you know, what, I'm gonna go. And not even just because they feel obligated to not let down the boys, but it might be just a subconscious thing. Um, but... I do think that there were a lot of guys who probably had a lot of questions and uh, were probably making a lot of phone calls and talking to a lot of different doctors and people within the NHL. And um, because I got to tell you, like, I don't have a family, but I'm 20, I'm 27 years old. As far as I know, healthy. Uh, if I were in the league, I probably would, it would have taken me quite a while to decide if I were not, were, were, or weren't going. And if you're Nick Felino and you've got family members at home that are, you know, immunocompromised a little bit and um you know like I'm just sure I'm sure there are a lot of guys that had to do their due diligence and I think this more speaks to the NHL possibly getting it right um or at least what players consider to be a safe option um I mean it certainly seems like that it's going to be a lot more structured and a lot more um successful than the NBA's is going to be I I wouldn't be surprised if the NBA's don't finish their playoffs, but um, I think the NHL's, by the sounds of things, got things pretty nailed down here. I would agree. Like um, the as as far as comparing the NHL to the uh, what the other leagues are doing, I I can't believe they're winning. Like <laughs> it's not often that this yeah. league comes out on top in in terms of you know it's it's off ice operations, but this I mean, has got to be one of them. Like. One thing to consider, too, in the NBA, and this isn't a specific comment on anyone specifically, but it's just the way the league's structured, is in the NBA, if you're on an NBA roster that's in the playoffs, you're you're kind of, you're more of a star than you are if, you are if you're an NHL player and your team's in the playoffs. The reason being is because even though there's so many teams in the NBA playoffs, like, there's so fewer guys on a roster... Like, even if you bring some of your G League guys, you're only, you're talking about, like, at the most, like, maybe 15 guys on a roster. So, Mm -hmm. you're, you're a lot more well-known. There's a lot less competition in terms of, you know, stardom and stuff like that. And thus, it leads to more egos. And the problem with the NBA is that a lot of these guys think that they're above the bubble and they're above this and that they can do fucking anything they want to do. And that's why you're seeing literally, like, it's, like, a week into the bubble and, like, fucking ten guys have been sent home and fucking, like... You know what I mean? These teams are already looking at, like, well, what are we going to do without this guy? Like, I don't know. If he would have just kept his mouth shut and didn't go to Dunkin' Donuts at 2 o'clock in the morning, we would have been fine. So, it's kind of a weird... It's kind of a weird dynamic there. I feel like there's a lot more animosity and stuff like that within the guys so i think there's a lot more egos and stuff like that that are going to be whereas in hockey you're taught to be just a soldier and you're supposed to be in line and all this stuff i think that there's going to be a lot less issues from an nhl level to be quite honest with you yeah i i would agree um i mentioned mike kitchen uh at this point the only coach that isn't coming back that's weird um i don't know like i i know all the focus is on the players and there was a deadline set in, in place. Like, I would uh, I would imagine, I would hope 
that there's a little bit more leniency when it comes to the coaches just because they are more at risk and stuff like that. Like, I don't wonder if we're going to see maybe more guys opt out as we get closer to this thing kicking off. But that being said, we're only about 12 days out at this, at this point. So it's, uh, it's, it's getting pretty down to the wire. Um, like just as I said with the players, like I, I, I myself can't believe that this is the only guy that, you know, said he's not coming back. Like, um, I know some coaches are getting, you know, younger and younger as we go. Um, yeah, but, but I mean, it's not like we've got 24 Kyle Dubas's behind the, behind the bench. You know what I mean? Like, like the youngest coach in the playoffs off the top of my head is probably Jeremy Colleton. Other than that, I can't really think of a lot of guys under 40 as a head coach. And if you're yeah. an assistant coach, more often than not, you're also like a former player, usually of the team. Or, um, you know what I mean? Like, there's just... I, I think most of them are still at an age where, you know, it's a little sketchy. Um, I don't really know necessarily why uh, Joel Co- or sorry, Mike Kitchen opted out. I didn't really hear if it's anything specific to do with his health or family health and it doesn't really matter i mean he's 64 years old if he doesn't want to <laughs> if he doesn't want to coach in this he he really shouldn't have to so um i honestly i think it's good for him i think that that he earned some of my respect i think because uh he's a good friend of joel quenville's man like they've been coaching together for a real long time and on and off but probably wasn't an easy decision i, I i'm sure it was tough so uh, I have, again, I have a lot of respect for everyone who did opt out. Whatever their reasons may be, it, it doesn't really matter much to me. I think it's, uh, no matter what, it couldn't have been easy. I mean, even if you're Carl Alsner, you'd rather get your name on that fucking Stanley Cup because you played two games in the Cup Final for four minutes because the top 11 defensemen were injured. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, But it, it certainly couldn't be an easy decision, and I, I at least give my kitchen credit. Hey, he's got... He's got the two rings to his name. He doesn't need to do anything more at this point. So That's true. Um, can't blame him. Um, just, again, like I said, just kind of speaks to the, I think, the, the perception we all had about, you know, this is never going to work. They're going to come back and play, and and it's going to be a disaster. No, none of these guys are going to show up. And, and here we are, like, like I said, less than two weeks away, and aside from half a dozen players and one coach it's all hands on deck for this uh, for this run so uh the hockey hopefully aside from maybe shaking off the rust will be will be good you know you're you're not missing any superstars and um i guess at this point we're we're into uh into return to play mode like i, I don't know like i've 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 been spending literally every day waking up thinking it's going to get like <laughs> It's going to get canceled today. Today's the day it's well, going to get canceled and, yeah, I think, and here we are. I think we're we're not we're not home free by any stretch of the imagination, but I do think that it's gone better so far than I thought it would. Um the concern obviously is that the players are not yet in the bubble. So it's really hard to critique this until that happens. And the NHL's plan for all this, because everyone's not reporting to these cities for still a few days, is mm-hmm. the NHL really only has one chance to get this right. If it 
goes bad, it's going to go bad very fast. You know what I mean? Like, because if everyone's together, not necessarily in direct contact, but if there's hotel workers that are sick and contaminate half a team, who then, you know, contaminate a half a team, like, then, like, are you going to just only eliminate those two teams? Or is that already enough to consider it? Because the NHL worded it, if the... Oh, I can't remember exactly how they worded it, but something if the um, integrity of the competition is compromised, yes. then they'll call it off. So what do you define as that, though, right? Like, if, if you have to... I, I'm, the Winnipeg Jets are playing the Calgary Flames on TV right now, and uh, I like the Jets better, so let's just say half the Flames get sick, and you have to take the Flames out, and the Jets win that series. Now... If that happens before game one, that's one thing. If it happens when the Jets are up 2-1 or 2-0, that's maybe another thing. But, like, if you... If you if, if a team is not even afforded an opportunity to play a game against a team, that, to me, already is the integrity of the competition's compromised. Because you've already taken one team that had every opportunity in the world to succeed, taken them out, You've got a fully rested team going in to play a fucking other team in, in 10 days. So, I mean, like, I get that that's, like, maybe a little extreme that, like, in the play-in round. But to me, that's already, like, compromised the integrity of the competition. Like, to me, that's already enough. So when does it happen if it gets bad enough? Like, I, I it's just, like, all I'm saying is because everyone's going to enter the bubble at once. If it goes bad quickly... I, I really don't know how this is going to look like. So I am still not in the in the mind where I actually necessarily believe this is going to happen yet. Until the puck is dropped, and as far as we know, every team, other than maybe three, four guys, are healthy, I'm not considering us out of the woods yet. But it's getting quite close. <laughs> We're getting very close to seeing hockey here. Yeah, and and that was another thing that I... I I've, I've harken back to about players opting out was the wording that the NHL used and the timing that they, they had when they talked about the, you know, integrity of the game led to the speculation that like, okay, if, if Crosby, Ovechkin, McDavid and Matthews all say they're, they're not going to come play, then the integrity of the sport has kind of been lost. And sure. Um, and you know what? So like that was, it would suck to lose a star player, obviously, but I mean, in reality, it is only one guy. Like, if the Leafs didn't have Matthews, uh, it should still be able to beat Columbus, in in my opinion, if they're playing up to, right. you know what I mean, the way they should be playing. Yeah. I really yeah. don't think they actually need Austin Matthews to beat Columbus. Not a knock on Columbus. I just think the Leafs actually do have a pretty good roster. Um, but, you know, I would say the same thing for Pittsburgh without Crosby, same thing for Washington without Ovechkin. They're all really good teams, right? But... yeah. If, it was just that idea of, Matthews like, at what point are you Hyman just watching? And... Sure. Yeah, I, no, I got you. Uh, in, in any case... If like Crosby gets it's... sick, this thing's getting shut down. There's no doubt about that. Crosby? Come on, McDavid. What are you What are we talking about here? <laughs> at least Crosby's got somebody, uh, <laughs> a few of the guys gotta, on his team. Gotta it's... tell you, James, I don't know how long McDavid's gonna be in this thing. I don't know. That's <clears throat> yeah, okay. I... Terry Price is gonna get six shutouts in the first three games. So, I, so. I would have been... A, I honestly would have been a guy who would think that Chicago actually had a chance in that series without Corey Crawford. I think 
I think the Oilers are just going to absolutely slaughter the the Blackhawks in three games. Like if Crawford's not ready to play by then, that's that is over in a cakewalk. That's what, th- that's uh, going to be fucked. What happened to Crawford again? He's unfit to play. But it's presumably oh. his previous health issues is what is what everyone thinks it is. Because um, there's a lot of discussion. The Blackhawks basically said he's unfit to play, and we have no reason to believe that he's going to be fit to play anytime soon. Um, they haven't ruled him out. He's on the official roster. But as of right now, Malcolm Subban is considered their starting goaltender. He's unfit to play, and we're currently in the process of trying to veto the Robin Lehner trade. Um... That wasn't a great move, was it? There's, <laughs> there's trade. a, Kept there's the a new goalie. Lucifer. There's, a, there's a new Satan. There's a new head devil. Uh, oh my god! Is the I forgot man this happened. behind the bench? This is like three weeks ago. No, holy he's shit! He's the man behind the bench. Oh Lenny Ruff. He's back. He's oh uh, head coach of the New Jersey Devils. Um, after three years as an assistant on uh, the other side of the Hudson River, he. Uh, Returns the Battle of his Sully. First head coaching. Uh, yes, the yeah. Battle of Sully. His first head coaching stint since the 2016-2017 season. Uh, your thoughts on the hire? Just let me prepare my thoughts here. Um, listen, I don't hate it to the degree that everyone else does. No. And and you shouldn't. And here here's why. Okay. Is listen, Lindy Ruff is um, obviously an older guy who <laughs> hasn't, who shouldn't be around COVID, <laughs> who who definitely <laughs> would opt out if the Devils were in the playoffs. Um, like, I just think it's ridiculous though that when we talk about the old boys club, okay, the discussion is is that. All these guys keep getting more chances. And all the NHL does is cycle between... It's not so bad in coaching... Or sorry, it's not so bad in general managing. It's worse in coaching. Where we cycle between 40 head coaches. And, you know, every five years, a few new guys get a chance and a few guys get relegated. But it's still pretty much the same group of, like, 40 coaches, right? And... I understand that that is true. But the name in the... the, in the old boys club that comes to me where it's just like, how does this guy keep getting fucking chances? Is like Bob Bugner, who never who's never done anything remotely interesting as a head coach. But Lindy Ruff is not the guy that comes to mind. You know, Lindy Ruff is a guy who uh until I think his last year or maybe last two years in Dallas was for sure one of the top ten coaches in the NHL. In the late nineties, early two thousands Lindy Ruff took a uh, previously coached by Ted Nolan, whore-fucking-endis roster, got a couple guys, and turned a bad roster into a borderline Stanley Cup contender on the back of Dominic Hasek. And then Hasek left, and he got Ryan Miller, and they got some good players, and they, you know, they dominated for a while, and rightfully so. But, for the most part, Buffalo was really good until Lindy Ruff left, and then everything just kind of fell apart. He went to Dallas, and Dallas was, for by all accounts, a fucking horrendous roster. And they led the league in scoring, despite having Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn, and nobody else. Nobody else on those teams. And then they had one bad year, and he got fired. And it's been three years, and all of a sudden everyone's going to fucking panic because Lindy Ruff got another job. Here's what happened. 
Peter Laviolette, the Devils didn't want to pay him. Gerard Gallant wanted control of the roster. They didn't want to give him control of the roster. Lindy Ruff didn't want either of those things. Third best candidate gets a job. Third best candidate might have been Lindy Ruff. There are a lot of guys uh, that were out there that may or may not have been interviewed that I never heard whether or not they were interviewed. Bruce Boudreaux being one of them. Honestly, fucking Babcock's probably another one. It's a few other guys that are slipping my mind right now that, you know, probably should have been interviewed. Maybe get the job over Lindy Ruff. But Lindy Ruff isn't a guy where it's like he is should be completely done because he has been such a bad coach for so long or something like that. If the Devils hired Mike Yo, I would be like, what the fuck are we doing here? But they hired Lindy Ruff, one of the more accomplished coaches of the last 20 years, uh, without a cup. So I think uh, it's not necessarily a good hiring, but I don't really understand this whole uh, notion that it's just a disaster or something like that. I would think if we were looking for a guy to sort of babysit during the rebuild that Elaine Nazardine would have been just as good to just keep him around because by all accounts the players loved him. But if we're looking with someone with maybe a little bit more head coaching experience, um, more experience in the league because Elaine Nazardine only played like fucking 40 games in the NHL or whatever, then yeah, Lindy Ruff might be your guy. It depends what you're looking for. I don't know. But um, I don't think it's horrible. I don't. I mean, it doesn't blow me away. I don't think it's an amazing hire, but... It's not bad. It's kind of like when it the Flyers hired Vigneault. Like, I'm like, I like Vigneault, and I, I don't think he's done as a coach. I'd like to see what he can do. Um, so I guess we'll see. And guess what? Lynn Vigneault's uh, nominated for the fucking Jack Adams this year. So <laughs> it worked out okay. Yeah. I I like Lindy Ruff. Like, I, I think he got a, a, a raw deal by the end of his time in Dallas. I don't know. Like, this this is a guy who's been to the conference finals three, uh, four times in his career and he's had a few 50 win seasons like this isn't this isn't yeah. a guy that like has plugged around the league for a while and oh maybe he can do the job maybe he can't do the job like he coached, he's done the job he's done it well he coached buffalo for 16 years 16 years you don't just by accident stay in the league for 16 years i used to think barry trotz was the guy that was just like how is this guy still a coach in nashville Turns out Barry Trotz was the reason Nashville was any good those years because Barry Trotz yeah. is like the best coach in the National Hockey League, um, and it's the same thing with Lindy. Like you just you don't just accidentally coach a team for sixteen years. They missed the playoffs mm-hmm. six times while he was there, but they were terrible most of the time he was there, because the two three years I would consider them unbelievable, all their players just left. Like one day Chris Drury, Daniel Briere, like we're leaving. And to be honest, probably a good thing for Buffalo because I don't know that they would have won a cup with that roster anyway. But, like, everyone just got up and left. And they were still, like, it only took them two years to get back to the playoffs. It's pretty good. Yeah. Another thing to consider is, is like, not not that Tyler Sagan was, like, he was never a bad player, but he definitely, like, he had a pretty rocky rookie season. Uh, People like to think it was good because he won a cup. But uh, he only had like 20 points that season as a 19-year-old. And then Lindy Ruff shows up the same year that Tyler Sagan shows up in Dallas together. And all of a sudden, Tyler Sagan's this 37-80-point you know, 80 point guy. Uh, sorry, 37-goal, 80-point guy. I, I'm, I, I don't look like... Is is this going to be the Jack Hughes career path? Like where Lindy Ruff maybe comes in and knows how to talk to Jack Hughes and... Maybe get him back because I I gotta imagine like Nazardine just had 
lost control of the room just to some extent right like if if you're making this move like you talked about just having a, a wow. babysitter of sorts in 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 the dressing room until you find the guy that's going to lead you out of the rebuild like I don't know. Like, I think Lindy Ruff might be the guy that can can kind of get something more out of Hughes, maybe something more out of Heeshear and and. I mean, whether or not who knows? It's... Like, sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say, like, he's he's coached Dominic Hashik, he's coached uh, Ryan Miller, he's coached Ben Bishop. Like, this could be good for Mackenzie Blackwood. Like, you know what I mean? Like, this might be a perfect storm for the Devils in a way. Um. Yeah, it could be. I. I mean, whether or not it's true, right? Like, it's always these things, uh, unless you know for a fact but the the reports were that all the players loved Elaine Nazardine the the difference was just that Lindy Ruff is just a better tactician and has literally coached like I don't know I didn't look but probably like 1500 games in the NHL as a head coach I mean through a rebuild probably more than that actually through a rebuild Lindy Ruff might be the better guy to have just because he can offer some insight and whether or not he actually does a good job coaching the team, at least I'm sure these guys are going to learn a lot from Lindy Ruff. Whereas, you know, Elaine Nazardine, like, it's great if he's good and positive and stuff like that. But if he's not a super good tactician, then he's a better head coach, right? Like, he's he's keeping these guys' heads screwed on straight. But if he can't, you know, figure out a way to win the hockey game, then, then how are you getting over the hump? And I'm a strong believer in you can tank all you want, but eventually you need to have that season where the young crew makes the playoffs and loses in the first round. At some point, you have to have that year where you're decent. And Lindy Ruff mm-hmm. helps you get to that point where you're decent. And maybe it takes the Devils two years. Third year, they're decent. They make the playoffs. They get absolutely train-wrecked by... Um, who's up and coming? The Rangers in the first round of the playoffs. And then the next year, they learn and they're ready to go. And maybe you fire Lindy Ruff and you bring in a different guy then. I don't know how long he's going to coach the team. But I just, I have a reason to believe that he's got more to offer than Elaine Nazardine. So I get that. But speaking of your Jack Hughes point, yeah, I, I think I think there's probably something there. I don't I don't really think Elaine Nazardine has anything to do with Jack Hughes' performance this year. I just, I watched Jack Hughes. He didn't look like an NHL player. He didn't look like he was ready to play in the league. The first overall pick, I guess you got to play him. But he didn't, he didn't look very good to me. Um, so, you know, there, there's something to be said there, but... There are certainly examples of players who Lindy Ruff in Dallas turned into a better player than they really were, and he's always sort of had that knack for um, developing guys who maybe necessarily wouldn't have become the player that they were without Lindy Ruff. He's got a good, pretty, uh, pretty good track record of, you know, doing good things with these players. So yeah, it it might help with Jack Hughes. Like I'm even just looking like Lindy Ruff's first year in Dallas. Ryan Garbett had 17 goals and was like a fucking elite power forward for them that year. The problem, the reason they missed playoffs, is because, uh, or sorry, the reason they weren't that good. Uh, Kerry Lettinen had a like a 285 and like a 902 or something, and that was their better goalie. Other goalie was like a yeah. 330 or something. So yeah, like, they, you know, the roster had some issues, for sure. Um, but he's done, like I said, he's done good things with players before. I I don't really hate the hiring. Like I I consider Lindy Ruff like the first player I sort of think of is like Mike Pekka is a guy who went on to have a career that I don't know if he would have had the same type of career without Lindy Ruff. And ironically that was like turning him into a defensive forward and Lindy Ruff has this reputation for being this offensive coach because of recency bias. Like, most of the teams in Buffalo were defensive because that was the style at the time. 
And then he went to Dallas, and all those teams were offensive because that was the style at the time. And that was the makeup of the roster. Like, he just kind of made work with what he had, right? So what's to say he's not going to do the same thing in in New Jersey? Uh, Lindy Ruff currently sitting sixth in uh, both career games coached in the NHL and career coaching wins. What's the number? Uh, he is at 736 wins, about uh, 47 behind Al Arbor for fifth, and he's sitting at 1,493 games that's it, coached. Eh? Four ahead of Paul Maurice, who probably was looking forward to passing him next season. But mm. um, i got to tell you, I think by the end of it, Paul Maurice is going to end up coaching more games than Lindy Ruff. But... <laughs> I would imagine yeah. Paul Maurice's father. Paul Maurice has been coaching for thirty years and is somehow forty nine years old, probably. So Father Time is on Paul's side. It, for se- sure. it seems to be. Uh, you you mentioned uh, Elaine Vigneault as uh, a a finalist for the Jack Adams Award. I guess we should just kind of go over this. Uh, there are a few. Uh, uh, well, I shouldn't say a few. All of the awards have had their uh, finalists announced, except for the Hart Trophy, uh, which comes out. Uh, today while you're listening to it so you can do your own homework on that one uh but yeah well the, the uh, reason i, I wanted give to give you the rest the reason i wanted to talk about all the other ones is because i'm sure we're gonna have to yell about the heart trophy next week and we're not gonna i'm, I'm just i oh, know i'm not be a whole episode by itself i know yeah. i'm not gonna i I'm, I'm gonna be pissed when leon dreisaitl inevitably wins that fucking award but okay so i got a list in front of me we'll just go from uh top down as it's uh, on this list sure. uh, this is in no particular order uh first up is the james norris trophy for best defenseman john carlson victor hedman roman yossi mm-hmm. uh the finalists for that one uh, uh ironically uh these are the three guys uh that uh, were one two and three in scoring for defensemen. that's kind of a, a little uh it's it's kind of ironic a little convenient you might say I'm sure a lot of research went into picking these finalists. Then uh, they didn't just sort by points, but yeah, um, like I, I just think it's cool that because like Victor Hedman is is undeniably the fifth to tenth best defenseman in the league every year. We've just decided to average that because so many other guys hopping in uh, hopping in and out of that group of ten every year. That because he's the only guy in it every year, that he must be nominated for the Norris every season. Like I don't. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Like his his advanced stats are good. There's about seven or eight other guys I think that had better years than him, but it's fine, I guess. I don't, I don't think he's like the funny thing is is like he wouldn't stand a shot in hell from I'm getting a top five vote from me, um, but he might win because he's the only guy of those three that uh, was good offensively and defensively. I guess. I mean, I thought Yossi should win it, but. I also didn't think Hedman was going to get nominated. Uh, Yossi should win it. Carlson will. Is that uh, how we feel? I mean, Carlson could have, could have, if Giordano wasn't as good last year, could have won it last year. And the Norris has often become the, this guy should have won it last year, so we're going to give it to him this year sort of thing. So I might, I wouldn't be surprised if John Carlson got it just because he was good last year. Not saying that's right, just saying that might happen. Um, and then inevitably Dougie Hamilton will win it next year despite only playing uh, 14 games next season. Ooh, love it. Uh, the Frank J. Selke Trophy for Best Defensive Forward. Uh, your finalists are Ryan O'Reilly from the Blues, Sean Couturier from the Flyers, and for a record ninth time, Patrice Bergeron of the Boston Bruins. 
I just think it's really cool that because Patrice Bergeron is in the top 5 to 10 best defensive forwards in the league every year, that we've just decided he should be nominated for the Selkie every season. Like, as if, you know... <laughs> I mean, I'm not as mad about that one. Um, I, again, I don't really think the numbers were there, but I think it's a little harder to evaluate what you consider an elite defensive forward. And Bergeron, obviously, is probably the best defensive forward in the league. I just don't really know if he had the season to be given the award, because it is a season-by-season-based award, right? Um, So he wasn't on my ballot, as far as I remember. I think he might have been, like, fifth or so, if I had to pick five. Um, I think Stone got robbed here, but I I, I think I had O'Reilly and... uh, I didn't have Couturier, but the the case is there. I'm not. I'm definitely not going to argue against that one. I think he was pretty damn good. He just didn't really. He wasn't a top three for me. But yeah, this is fine. I think O'Reilly sh- uh, should win. Um, I think Bergeron will win. And yeah, I'm assuming Mark Stone uh, didn't get nominated because he's going to be a Hart finalist, and it wouldn't be fair to give him the Selkie and the Hart because uh, that's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, I don't. I don't, I don't get it. Like there, 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 there are other guys on the Golden Knights I would have nominated even before fucking before Bergeron. But uh, the two horse race that is the Calder Trophy has three finalists. It's uh, Quinn Hughes from the Canucks, Kale McCarr from the Avalanche, and Dominic Kubalik from the Blackhawks. Uh, so, uh, uh, which which a defenseman is going to win the Calder Trophy this year, Brutes? I guess someone had to be third. <coughs> I just think it's funny how every fucking year Dominic Kublik's nominated for the Calder Trophy. Um, I guess it's fine. Like I don't, I don't really, I don't really know. Again, that's another weird one to evaluate. He didn't. Some of his numbers are really nothing amazing, but he had a really good month and a half stretch of scoring goals. So I'm sure he gets in, but there there were he's he's a thirty goal guy and he would have been you know like probably not a lot of rookies get thirty. See, so. and like that's a thing, right? Like he got thirty, and most years it's enough to win the Calder. But there's literally like this is a good crop of rookies. Like I'm not gonna say it's not, and I'm not gonna say Dominic Kublik's like a weak nominee. He's still a good nominee. Sure. But like I th- honestly I think he might have been sixth for me. Because like there are four defensemen this year that are clearly the future of the NHL and all had astonishingly good years. And also Elvis Merzlikens was a borderline Vesna finalist and didn't get yeah. nominated. So it's like, it's weird to say a guy who scored 30 goals isn't a good nominee. Most years he's probably your winner. Um, but again, I was a little surprised. Uh, it's it's still fine. Um, yeah, it's going to be Makar Hughes anyway. Do you, I think we talked about uh, our picks, but do, do you have a, a guy at this point? Uh, Makar, but it, it's it's close. Yeah, it's close. It's gonna be a coin flip. Yeah, uh, the Vesna Trophy for best goaltender. This this is uh, voted on by the GMs, so uh, no real say uh, from your boys at Laced Up, uh, part of the Professional Writers Hockey Association. Uh, Connor Hellebuck from the Jets, Tuka Rask from the Bruins, and Andre Vasilevsky from the Lightning. What are your thoughts? It's Hellebuck, and it, if it's not, then I, I don't really think that the GMs should keep their jobs. Like, I think that's how this should work. Like, if, if they get it wrong, then they should all just collectively be fired as a group. Who were the three again? It was Hellebuck, Vasilevsky, and Rask? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's fine, because I, 
Like, I had Hellebuck run away first. I think Tuka Rask is run away second. Like, I just... I think there is, like, a clear 1-2-3 to me. The third is Ben Bishop, but I guess, like... Again, Vasilevsky's a guy... His numbers are never weak, but he does play on an exceptionally good team. So... Yeah. It always helps his case, I, but... I, I, Vasilevsky could be... A... Could be a guy to me who goes down as, like, a, a Chris Osgood type, where it's just, like... He had the team in front of him, helped his numbers a lot. That doesn't necessarily mean that Osgood's a bad goaltender. It doesn't necessarily mean that Vasilevsky's a bad goaltender. Vasilevsky, of course, much better than Chris Osgood. But I'm just saying it might be one of those things by the end of time where you look at his numbers and it's like, well, I don't. Was he ever really like a top five goalie in the league? And the answer to me is no. But he's good. Yeah. He's definitely good. Like, he's solid. He, he kind of, I don't know, he kind of reminds me of Martin Jones when I watch him. Like, he's just like he, sorry, Martin Jones before the last two years. <laughs> Martin Jones before James cursed him in 2018 by saying he would win the Vesna. It, where it's just like, he, yeah. I, did, I didn't say what year he'd win the Vesna. He's a perfect, yeah, well, we'll keep holding out hope. He he he's clearly good enough for the team he plays on. I just don't really think that he's much to do with Tampa's success that much. Two thoughts on this, real quick. I I agree with you. It's Hellebuck one. It's Rask at two. Uh, it's probably Bishop at three. Vasilevsky's in the conversation if uh, we're rounding out the top five. I I think there should be an honorable mention for Jordan Bennington. Like I I thought he had a really solid yeah. season for a Blues team that was pretty banged up. But see, and that, uh, that's it's not going to matter. It's another deep group when you get when you get beyond number two though because like it's also like Kemp, it is. it's Kemper yeah. too for me like it, it's a tough year yeah yeah but again it doesn't really matter there's the the one two at the top uh, I will say this though I am surprised that uh, after all of the fear and uh, and uh, you know respect that was given out to Carey Price about how he's going to win the cup for the Canadians this year right. that the GMs just didn't put him on the ballot but right. uh, that's kind of weird right. Uh, the yeah, Jack Adams Trophy you touched on, Alain Vigneault from the Flyers, he is a finalist, Bruce Cassidy from the Bruins, and John Tortorella from the Blue Jackets. Yeah. Um, this was a deep field. I think this is one of the deepest fields for a, a okay. Jack Adams season uh, in, in recent memory. Uh, if you say so. <laughs> well, like I, I think you could make a case for like Mike Sullivan, you can make a case for Paul Maurice, you could, you know, like I think there's a few guys that, like, I don't I don't think any one of these five, six guys are necessarily head over heels. Like, there's no Connor Hellebuck in this group. Is is what I'm saying? Um, no. And and I and ironically, uh, like I'm just I'm I'm going through the um, the Jack Adams winners from the past. And aside from I would say Gerard Gallant in 2018, I don't see at least in name since the millennium uh, that I think had a better year behind the bench than Mike Sullivan did this year. Uh, I have no earthly idea how that team managed to win as many fucking games as they did, considering how much time people missed. Um, times where, like, even, you know, Crosby was fucking playing, but was he healthy? Like, I, I, I don't really know. Um, yeah, it's it's weird to me. I, I think he it will forever blow me away that they won as many games this year as they did but say levy he's not nominated um i'm pretty much fine with any of these three i don't think the case is there for bruce cassidy but if people say it is that's he's a good coach so he, he doesn't really uh 
you know, I can't really sit here and say that he did a bad job or anything like that. I just, I don't really... Uh, Jared Bednar's another guy that I think should get some some credit my, for. My, my three work. were Sullivan, Vigneault, and Bednar, and I believe I said when we did our nominations that I really didn't care who the other two were because Mike Sullivan had such a good case. But you're right, like, I, I think Bednar uh, is another guy that, you know, pretty impressive what he did this year. Um, what he does every year, I guess, but... Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I I would probably... Out of these three, I would probably go Vigneault, uh, just because, I don't know, like, I, I, I think Cassidy, that's that's just an easy answer to give. Oh, yeah, you know, best team in the league, gotta have the best coach. Um and Tortorella, like, I, again, I, I kind of grouped Tortorella in that, that category with, like, Bednar and Maurice, where it's just, yeah, those are all guys that had to deal with a lot of, like, adversity this season, and and uh, they all kind of can state the same sort of case when it comes to that. And, uh, yeah, Mike Mike Sullivan should definitely be here, but he's not, so uh, uh, Vigneault is my pick. Is that is that um, a PHWA thing? I think so, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. like, to yeah. me, this is the case of where... Um, cause again, like in the media, everyone's talking about how, uh, like what would be the most crazy team for Lafreniere to go to? And the answer is always like, oh, it's Pittsburgh for sure. And like, this is assuming that like, uh, Crosby and Malkin are, are, are good for the next, you know, however many years, which is, remains to be seen. And yeah, we'll this out. is also keeping in mind that there's nothing else on that roster. So... Like, I, I think everyone just thinks the Penguins are still the team from 2017 with fucking Phil Kessel. <laughs> like, Flurry's still the backup and all this stuff. They don't have Jack Johnson's contract and Patrick Hornfix's contract, and they just think, like, everything's good in Pittsburgh. Like, no, that's it's not a great team. Mike Sullivan did an incredible job, and John Marino's somehow like a, like a Norris candidate, you know, <laughs> discussion-type guy all of a sudden, and it's all because of Mike Sullivan, man. Uh, the Ted Lindsay Award, uh, the MVP, as voted by the players. Cool. Uh, most likely, this could be the Hart Trophy list, uh, but it's Leon Draisaitl from the Oilers, Nathan McKinnon from the Abs, and Artemi Panarin from the Rangers. I have no idea who's going to win that. I, I that's a coin flop. I honestly, because like again, uh, Ted Lindsay Award's never one we talk about because it's voted on the players. It's not something I can get inside the players' mind. Um. You would you would just assume that every year it would just be like McDavid, Crosby, and fucking Ovechkin or something like that. But um, yeah, I don't I don't know I don't. I don't know. There, I there, there are guys the on that list that I don't have... even think are in the top ten forwards in the league, which is kind of funny. They just all had good years, but um, I, I think the 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 players get like. I think the Ted Lindsay is is more reflective of who the actual MVP is every year, as opposed to the Hart Trophy. Like I, I you can think make the case for when, sure. Yeah, yeah. I think it works out that way most most years. But um, again, this is too close to call, I'm, and, and we're probably going to talk about the same thing when it comes to the Hart next week. But uh, any of the, any of those guys, I'm fine with. Like it's not like it's not like I'm going to sit here and be like, oh, like like McKinnon should definitely not have won, and you know, like like any of these guys are fine. So. Whatever, it's kind of moot. Yeah. What What's the award description again? Because Ted Lindsay is one that I never pay attention to. It, it's just it's the most valuable player of the league, but it's yeah. voted on by the players. So yeah. It's, no, it's I, I, the, I know that. Who your peers think? It's just yeah. funny, right? Because like, like again, like most valuable to their team. Sure, you can maybe make the case that Drysaddle and Edmonton, but like most valuable player in the league, 
Like, Dreisaitl's not even close to the best player on his team. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's weird. Like, sure. You can even, you you could, if you're really extreme, even make the case Panarin's not the best player on the Rangers. I wouldn't, but people have, you know. So it's just yeah. weird to see those yeah. three guys, but I'm, I like all three of best, them, so I'm down for whatever. Best and most valuable, I think, has to be, you know, separated oh, a lot for of sure. times when it comes for to sure these they things. They're, but, they're very different. Yeah, uh, yeah and yeah. that's that's why they're different awards, I guess. Uh, the Bill Masterson Memorial Trophy cool. for dedication to hockey. We touched a lot, uh, on all of the uh, nominations because each team gets one. Uh, I think either the last time we talked or the time before that, regardless, we talked about it. We gave our opinions. The finalists of those 31 guys are Steven Johnson from the Stars, Oscar Lundblom from the Flyers, who looks like he's going to be back, and Bobby Ryan from the Senators. Um, Lindblom to be back, not in return to play, though. He's practicing. I don't know if he made like the, the return to play oh, roster. He, I didn't see the uh, Flyers, but... He did fly to Sweden uh, this week, so I don't think he can play then. But um, regardless, he did practice. I did see that. Uh, And he is back on the ice, which is good news. Um, And that is enough for me to now consider him a guy who did sort of return at least. So um, I think you can definitely now make the case that he he is uh, a a potential front-runner for the award. But... um, yeah, no, it's, it's again, I've made the case before, I like this award a lot. I think um, just to be nom- nominated by your team is an accomplishment. I think to be one of the three finalists is a huge accomplishment. I kind of think they should all get the award. I, I'm kind of at that point where um, I think all three finalists should just get an award for it. I, I don't really see the merit in picking one over the other, oh, like tragedy versus tragedy. and You know what I mean? It's just, it's icky at that point fine with any of the three winners i think they all deserve it i think everything that they've all been through is uh incredible to be where they are um obviously oscar lindblom hasn't spoken too publicly about everything he's been through but i'm sure it hasn't been very easy i'm sure there's been a lot of incredibly tough days but you've also got you know bobby ryan who's had a just a tough life and Stephen Johns, who you know was basically said he was borderline suicidal for a while. So yeah, it's 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 an interesting group, and I'm very happy that all three of them have come back. Yeah, no no wrong answer there. Um, there may be a wrong answer in this next and final uh, award group, sure. uh, and that is the Lady Bing Memorial Trophy. Uh, the finalists are Nathan McKinnon from the Avalanche, Ryan O'Reilly from the Blues, and Austin Matthews from the Maple Leafs. Okay. Uh, saw so, some pushback on this trophy's nominations. I'm not sure what your take is on that discussion. So I actually wrote an article about this for the North Side this week, and I didn't. The, the, the fun part about the article, and I've tried to do this with some of this stuff, is I didn't really give my opinion necessarily. What I did was sort of break down what the award means and and what other people perceive it to mean, and and I just basically tried to help other people sort through their thoughts as to whether or not this is a good or a bad thing that he's nominated um but i didn't give my opinion and what i would say is that i think that on any other year without any office incidents of any kind awesome matthews is the most perfect fucking nominee for the lady bing uh that you could imagine he scored 47 goals in however many fucking games 69 or 70 and um he had four minor penalties 
And uh, as a Leaf fan, I can tell you one of them was bullshit. So um, I think it's I think it's an interesting one. But basically, where I come down is I think he is the winner most years. But unfortunately, I think he's going to come third in the voting um, because of what happened. I'm sure there are a lot of writers that feel um, that are vehemently against him being nominated this year, and I'm not necessarily sure that they're wrong. Um, the weird thing about this is, again, I thought Jacob Slavin was a perfect winner for this award, and he's not even nominated. Uh, second on my ballot was Ryan O'Reilly, third was Nathan McKinnon, fourth would have been Austin Matthews. The thing for me is that, you know, people, if you want to consider off-ice incidents, like, you know, Ryan O'Reilly had his off-ice incident, it's all very public. I don't really know if we're going to call it an on-ice or an off-ice award. Strictly, if we're talking on ice, I don't really see the argument against Austin Matthews. If we're talking about off ice, I think Ryan O'Reilly deserves the opportunity to be looked at as Ryan O'Reilly in 2020 versus Ryan O'Reilly in 2013 or 2014 or whatever it happened. Um, So for me, Ryan O'Reilly, for sure, if we're taking off ice into account, is fine. Like, I, I... you know, it's is a, a different world than where we were living years ago, um, where he made a huge mistake. Um, but if we're talking only on ice, it's Austin Matthews for sure. And like, I, I don't know if this is a hot topic or or what, but like, it should probably be on ice. Like, like these are hockey players. Like, I get it. Like. Yeah, shit happens when you're not at work and like yeah I've had some pretty crazy nights out when I'm not fucking punched in at my job but like I don't go to my job and get fucking obliterated and then do my job and expect to be you know praised for it when I can't function like I don't know like I I think there needs to be some level of separation here like would Tim Thomas have have not won uh, a couple of Vesnas if everyone knew he was a big Trump guy? Like, well, probably like that shouldn't matter. Uh, so, uh, like, what your actions on the ice, I think, should have a lot more weight than your action. Like, not not in a social, you know, commentary, but just in like in terms of like awards and stuff like that. If we're looking at Austin Matthews and, and, and say the season played out and he went off for like 10 more goals in the last 12 games or whatever and he was on the heart ballot, like, are people going to say like, oh, he's not the MVP because he did something bad in the summer? Well, he had an MVP season. Yeah, but he did something bad. Okay, then, like, to me, that's the same argument with the Lady Bing. Like, uh, aside from the fact that the Lady Bing is this quasi you got to be a good guy to get the award which doesn't even really make a lot of sense um it's it's a hockey decision it it shouldn't be influenced by factors outside of hockey so that's kind of where i come down on it i could give a shit about this award i I think it's time to put the lady bing memorial trophy on the uh, retired list of trophies and and you know move along with with what we have um that's not to say that maybe these guys, you know, McKinnon, Matthews, and O'Reilly care. Like, maybe maybe they are really invested in this and they and they want that honor. I I think it's a, a dumb trophy, uh, personally. Yeah. But, 
Um, yeah, sure. Any, any of these guys are fine. Like, uh, I didn't Ryan O'Reilly, he won the, he won the Lady Bing in 2013-14. I'm pretty sure that was the year he drove a truck into a Tim Hortons. So, like, yeah, I don't know. Like, clearly there's not a lot of consistency when it comes to how this award is viewed uh, by the public. So Yeah. I'll, I mean, a couple quick yeah. points on it, right? Like, the, the thing that defines the award to me is the uh, um, gentlemanly conduct, but uh, the big thing for me is combined with high standard of playing ability. So... At no point does it actually say that it's purely an on-ice award, right? And a lot of people went all over Twitter and it's like, it says in the definition. It, it does not say anywhere in the definition. It says gentlemanly conduct combined with high standard of playing ability. Which to me means it's a combination of on-ice and off-ice. But the wording is so unclear that there's no real way to decide for sure. So I can kind of understand anyone coming down on this award one way or another. The other issue I have with it being considered an off-ice award is because the NHL has a thousand fucking awards for off-ice stuff as it is. So, like, one, one of which is the Masterton, kind of. What the hell do we care what they do off the ice, then, when you've already got all these other awards to award your leaders and your gentlemen and shit like that off the ice? I don't really understand... Um, you know what I mean? Like, that just doesn't really make sense to me. Uh, the other thing I need to clarify is, as far as I know, I've never read anything where uh, Tim Thomas is a Trump guy. Uh, he is a libertarian, as far as I know, which could be worse. <laughs> Depending how you look at things, but, yeah. I went with the lesser of the two evils, I guess. <laughs> he, um, he, he, he basically, yeah. all he said was, like, going to the going to the White House is bullshit. But I don't, he didn't, he said it had nothing to do with who was in the office, so... Uh, the Lady Bing Trophy, uh, I, I will recap, uh, as I probably have in the past, uh, created for uh, the wife of uh, the Governor General Bing, who uh, went to a hockey game and she just didn't like the fact that guys were hitting each other with sticks in the face and punching each other a lot. So she's like, hey, if you're nice, I'll give you a, a big silver plate thing. So, pretty dumb, pretty old-fashioned. Uh, it's time to just put that away and like most things from the 1940s, it, it doesn't really matter anymore. Of course, also um, noting uh, Austin Matthews becoming the first Maple Leaf to be nominated from the, for the award since 2003, uh, when Alexander McGillney refused to attend the NHL awards ceremony because he thought uh, the Lady Bing is bullshit. So that should tell you everything you, you look, need to know about Makes you look soft, is what he said. Yeah. <laughs> Consolation prize, yeah. he says. <laughs> what? Uh-huh. Consolation prize? For what? Uh... We got a couple things here we're going to talk about real quick. Um, your thoughts on uh, Chris Pronger, who left the Florida Panthers to open a travel business during <laughs> a pandemic in which you can't travel. I uh, actually forgot about that. Um, yeah, it's weird. I don't. I don't really know. Like I, I, it's just to me. Like I've never really known what to make of Chris Pronger as a person. Because it's like, everything you hear about the dude being shitty, there's like a subtitle where it's like, but it actually might be his wife, or like, it actually might be because of his family, or it might because be because like, uh, you know, this team was fucking assholes to him, and like, it's just like, I've never really heard a definitive fucking story about Chris Pronger as a guy, but I, by all accounts, he seems like an awesome dude. 
from my understanding, this was a case of he's always been interested in, like, flying planes and helicopters and shit like that. And has always kind of wanted to get into this business. And he was working with the Florida Panthers. And is working under Dale Talon, who the Violas will not fire. And if they fire him, basically Pronger's not going to be the next GM. So Pronger said, well, what am I doing here then? So he left the Panthers. And is now going to run this travel business. And uh, I wish him nothing but luck, because I think this is one of the funniest things I've ever heard in my life. Not because I think it's a bad idea. It just might be the most random headline. It, like, this is hockey Mad Libs. You know what I mean? I saw this, and it's like Chris Pronger leaves the Florida Panthers to pursue travel business. I'm sorry. What? Chris Pronger worked for the kind of Florida Panthers? Chris Pronger knows anything about travel businesses? Chris Pronger... Is he still playing? <laughs> uh, he's definitely not playing. Um, I went to Chris Pronger's Wikipedia page in, uh, in hopes of like figuring out more about this travel business. Uh, there's nothing there. Uh, but what is on his Wikipedia page that I thought was interesting was uh, all eight of his suspensions. Um, mm. Would you care to have a guess as to how many games Chris Pronger missed as a result of his eight NHL suspensions? Right. I will now close his Wikipedia page. Um... <laughs> How many games he missed? I don't like. Did he? I don't remember him ever getting like a super major one. I'm gonna go thirty. Wow, uh, little high. Uh, okay. I admire the guess because I would have went way lower. Uh, uh, Twenty-two games. Hmm, that's pretty. His cool. longest was an eight-game suspension for stomping on the leg of oh. uh, Vancouver's Ryan Kessler. That's not cool. Uh, to which, oh yeah, looking back, I I don't really mind. But, well, well yeah, true. Go on. Now that I'm thinking about it too, my guess was based on a, an era back, um, you know, before they gave players more than one game for like anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I was thinking oh, now yeah. in the George Peros era, where it's like, well, he would have got like four games for being a repeat offender. No, they didn't care. He got four games for high sticking Jeremy Roenick in an act that. 22 years later Wait. is probably like yeah no you should probably just high stick Jeremy Roenick all the okay, time. Okay so not that I'm wishing violence on guys but does it say whatever like who he who he yeah. like attempted to injure on every suspension there? Yeah. Okay can I get a full list of the guys? Because maybe there's a correlation here. Uh, in 95 he got four games for slashing Washington's Pat Peak. Pat um, Peak? Yes. I thought you said Pat Verbeek for a second I'm like okay fair. No. Uh, in uh, 98, he got four games for high-sticking uh, Jeremy Roenick. Okay, fair enough. In 2000, he got one game for leaving the bench uh, <laughs> to fight Kelly Bookberger of the Los Angeles Kings. That's badass. Uh, in 2002, he got two games for cross-checking Dallas's Brendan Morrow. Oh, I don't like that too much, but that's okay. In 2004, he uh, received one game for kicking uh, Calgary's Viley, uh, sorry, Vile Niminen. Yeah, never liked him. Uh, in 07 uh, with Anaheim he got one playoff game for hitting Thomas Holmstrom in the head okay uh, six not even six weeks uh, four weeks later he uh, got another game uh, in the playoffs for hitting Dean McAmmond in the head oh yeah I didn't like that and then he got the eight games for uh, stomping on Ryan Kessler huh so well yeah. they're not all losses yeah yeah uh, <laughs> Brock Besser may or may not be traded because the Vancouver Canucks don't have any cap room. <laughs> oh man, I forgot how awesome this week of headlines is. Um, 
Okay, well, here's the thing, is I wouldn't put anything past Jim Benning. And Jim oh, God, Jim no. Benning basically was like, well, this is fucking ludicrous. I'd never fucking trade Brock Besser. And Brock Besser's like, yeah, if this is true, this is fucking garbage, and I'm pissed, basically. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a weird uh, rumor to make up. Because to come out and say that the Vancouver Canucks apparently internally value Tyler Toffoli more than Brock Besser. That's just about as absurd of a fucking rumor as you can make up out of thin air. So, like, I don't know, like, part of me thinks it might be true, because it's like, how... That's not even a rumor. That's like Eklund shit. Like, going back to fucking 2004, where it's just like, duh, I think the Leafs are going to, uh... Uh, trade Matt Sundin to the Florida Panthers for uh, Oli Jokinen's younger brother, E4. What? Why would that ever happen? He doesn't play hockey. So, I don't really get where the rumor would come from, is there's my a thing. Couple th- there's a couple things here that I don't understand. Um, the first is the idea that Tyler Toffoli... Uh, would want to re-sign in Vancouver. Yeah, that's another thing. We don't uh, know that that's going like, to happen either. <laughs> he's he's making 4.6. This is the last year of his deal. He's a UFA. He's going to want, like, close to 7, I would think. Like, I think that's going to be his asking number. I don't know if he's going to get it, oh, but, like... Well, he better not. But, like, if you're Vancouver, are you going to be like, oh, yes, we're going to trade Brock Besser, who's five years younger and signed for the next two seasons... So that we can sign Tyler Toffoli to a seven million dollar contract. What does Besser make? Seven million. Besser or makes less. five eight. Really? On that deal that he signed? Yeah, five eight cap hit. Yeah. Okay. So, so even let's just say, because this is actually roughly where I would value him, that Vancouver signs Tyler Toffoli at five eight. Okay. What? What? What else? What, like other than like his ability to stay healthy, which is. That doesn't really mean anything. Just Why me. would you pick Toffoli over Besser? Because there's no other reason for me to believe... Like, don't get me wrong. I watch Tyler Toffoli all the time in L.A. Uh, back when they were good. I like Tyler Toffoli a lot. He is, at best, a good second-line winger or a complimentary first-line player. He is better, but, like, sort of what Zach Hyman is to the Leafs. Like, he's just, like... He would not be the star on your first line. He would be a good player. But he doesn't work as hard as fucking Zach Hyman. So, like, I don't even know if he can play that role is what I'm getting at. He's always only ever been a second-line winger. Uh, If Brock Besser's healthy, Brock Besser might be able to score, like, 45 goals a year. Like, that guy can shoot the puck like prime Phil Kessel. uh, Plus a slap shot. So... I Like, what the hell would be the reason for making that trade? Because uh, asset-wise... Uh, all you would be doing is maximizing this asset you have and at best maybe getting the equivalent in another player you have instead of losing them because Besser has more trade value. Do you see what I'm saying? So maybe you can... Like, yeah. They think they can get more for Besser than other guys they have on their roster. They don't need to fucking trade guys away to fill holes in their lineup. They have 28 signed NHL forwards or something like that. Like, their their 28th forward is, like, fucking 
Antoine Roussel or something. They have a million and one fucking guys under contract at the NHL level. They need to start shipping guys out for nothing is what they need to start doing. Besser's not the place to start. Find someone to take Roussel. Find someone to take Beagle. Find someone to take uh, Louis Erickson. Brandon Sutter. Uh, like, I'm blanking because there's so many fucking options because that team is just a black hole of bad contracts. You don't need to trade Besser to get, like, a, a another centerman or something like that. If anything, you should be trading Besser so they'll take all these other bad contracts. Like, trade him to Detroit with Louis Erickson and fucking Antoine Roussel and Jay Beagle. And at least then you have cap space to spend on these prospects you have coming up. But they have so many good young players and nowhere to put them. Nowhere to put them. The other thing, too, that They're I find is kind of hilarious is, like, Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes are both going to be, like, up for new contracts the same season. So, like, you already know what you're paying Brock Besser. You're, you're going to be paying him for the next couple seasons. You can start to formulate a plan now based on your cap situation then why would you give Tyler Toffoli a brand new contract yeah. that's going to be worth more yeah. than what you're paying Brock yeah. Besser when you have the two biggest stars on your team to sign in the coming years oh, like, yeah um, yeah because this I'm prospect pool is assuming fucking... all these guys turn out but like if you if you don't play them where they should be played then these guys aren't going to turn out you know what I mean like like let's say Pod Colson doesn't get an opportunity for three years because fucking Tanner Pearson's in the lineup. Like, like, what are we talking about here? When Here's another did thing, you ever like, think you were an NHL fucking playoff team when you never made the NHL playoffs and won a round with this fucking group? Yeah. Another thing I'm curious to see, too, mm-hmm. like, if, if Vancouver can just be, like, patient for, like, a few months, just like, hey, Jim, maybe don't, like, trade the whole fucking team uh, in the next, like, few weeks. Just give us some time. I want to see what the NHL does about the Roberto Luongo recapture thing. Like, if they're going to give some sort of, like, exemplary credit to the Canucks for for that whole mess because now they've changed things. Like, I can see that coming off the books and all of a sudden you've got $3 million more that you can spend. And if you really like Tyler Toffoli that much, you know what? Maybe you just give him what he's making now and, and give him that, you know, Luongo cap hit that you're paying right now that they shouldn't be paying right now and then maybe everything's fine and like you don't have to trade Brock Besser because you shouldn't trade Brock Besser no like they have they have currently a million guys uh, that are conceivably good prospects that are not in their lineup and they have three guys that I can name off the top of my head that play forward for that team that they should build around long term. And I cannot even think of a fourth in the lineup. The three are Patterson, Besser, Horvat. Am I missing someone? Like Vertanen's um, the only other guy that seems to serve maybe a long term purpose. He's not a guy you should build around. Like he's he is at best a bigger Zach Hyman. He's not a guy that should be the fucking catalyst here. But every other yeah. fucking roster spot is just like Maybe Adam got it, but like we don't know that. So I don't know. I just I I, I think the idea of trading Brock Besser is um, the final nail in the coffin. Where I will truly find out if uh, Francesco Aquilini is a bad owner or not. Because if they don't fire uh, Jim Benning before he trades Brock Besser, then 
then what are we doing here? I would rather, if I were the GM, I would rather keep Besser and find out that he wasn't as good as I thought he was than trade him for a shitty return and never know what we had in him. JT Miller would be the only other guy that kind of comes to mind, and he's on that outside-looking in yeah, I of that, of I that core. We'll see what he does he's next a decent. Year. He's a decent cap hit. He's, you know, 75-point guy. Like, keep him around for sure, but... Yeah, uh, it is uh, time for overrated, underrated, favorite, least favorite this week. Okay, so this uh, this week's overrated, underrated, favorite, least favorite is uh, cheeses, cheese, <laughs> fromage, if you will, as the French say. Uh, in cheeses. honor of the uh, newest Jim Jeffries special, Intolerant, in which he rants about uh, different types of cheeses that he cannot digest because he's lactose intolerant. Uh, we thought this would be a fun, quirky uh, type of, uh, uh, yeah, one to do this week. Okay. Do you like cheese? Yeah, I, I do. Um, I, I There are a lot of popular cheeses in North America that uh, I think are vastly uh, overrated, and I don't really think are like as good as people think they are. But if you get if you get like a good gourmet cheese, you know, there's a lot um, there's a lot to be said. That's fair. Yeah, that's that's kind of wild to think about. But no, yeah, you're not wrong. It's just how how how, how much time do you think you've spent in your life thinking about cheese before? Like this well, is very be the most very little. <laughs> because uh, what I would say is I I know so many people, especially having worked in a grocery store, where people are like, oh, I love cheese, and it's like I've never thought about cheese. Like cheese isn't a thing that I just buy to have cheese. Like I don't even really get cheese on my burgers and stuff like that. Like I don't, I don't think about cheese very often but when you get a good cheese it's holy fuck good for sure for sure uh well let's get things uh started here well uh, and I... I was gonna ask did you like the new jim jeffrey special oh <laughs> i i liked it more than i like cheese oh okay oh you yeah. don't like cheese uh i'm I'm very in the middle. Like, for every cheese I like, there's probably one that I don't like just as much. Interesting. I find it's very down the middle in terms of an even split, so to speak. But, um, yeah, no, I I, I like the special. I watched it the first time uh, the day it came out, and then I've put it on a couple times with the intention of watching it again. And I've fallen asleep a couple times, so, like, Mm. I've I've seen the first half of that special, like, four times now, but I've only seen the the ending like once so um, uh i've watched yeah, it twice fan. front to back it was um as i find a lot of jim jeffrey's comedy is much funnier the second time there's just something uh, like the good thing uh, a lot of comedians have this like really famous comedians if you have a really good delivery your jokes will live forever and that's what Jim Jeffries has, is because, like, I'll watch it, and it's like, the joke didn't get any funnier the second time around. What got funnier is to me is just listening to Jim say it again. You know what I mean? Right. Like, his just his yeah. delivery is so good. Probably his best since spare. I would agree. I, I think it is. Yeah. Um, you know, and while we're on the topic, too, before we get into cheeses, uh, you know what I watched um, the other night? And I didn't, I didn't like it the first time I watched it, I think I told you, and I watched it again, and I... I've significantly changed my opinion. Was Mike Birbiglia's special from last year, the new one? Oh, yeah. Holy shit, that was... I watched it the other night. Holy shit, it's funny. 
I don't know why I didn't find it funny the first time around. I don't even think I ever finished it the first time around. Uh, and then I forgot it existed. And the other night I'm looking at it. I'm like, yeah, I don't really remember anything about this. And I watched it and I'm like, I don't remember any of this. And I found it much funnier the second time around. I didn't love it the first time. So maybe it's time for just, me to give it a second go. Just him and his bed sheet. Cause he fucking, cause he's got the sleepwalking condition. So he's got the bed sheet made and the idea of just his cat scratching him to death every morning. But like, he can't do anything about it cause he can't get out of his bed sheet. His wife doesn't come in the room cause they got the kid. <laughs> it's just hilarious. It's good. Yeah. It's good stuff. Um, your overrated cheese. Hmm. Cool. Overrated was the one I had not prepared yet. Um, <laughs> Uh, well, do you have one, maybe, first? I, I do, yeah. As, as, uh, I, as I think, do you. I, I think cheddar is overrated. I'm not saying cheddar's bad. I just, I think it's no, overrated. Well, there's a difference between overrated and, and bad. Like, we've gotten to a level where we've just decided it's okay to put cheddar cheese on everything. And it's like, yeah, okay, it's good. It doesn't need to be on your fucking spaghetti noodles. Like, it doesn't need to be on your taco it doesn't need to be on your mr noodles when you make it it makes those things good it's, it doesn't take away from those things it just doesn't need to be there it's okay. overrated um well seeing as as you said what i was sort of bordering on uh, i realized there's a cheese i hate more than this other cheese and i'm going to move this cheese to now being overrated because it is um perhaps the most popular uh, cheese in North America which is American fucking sliced cheese which is the grossest thing uh, ever and um, I do not like any type of pure yellow shit on my burger uh, like American cheese so I think sliced American cheese is uh, part of the reason why when people ask me if I like cheese I say no um, because that shit is fucking disgusting uh, I don't get it on your burger. I get putting cheese on your burger. I prefer Gouda a lot uh, over American cheese, but I'll even take cheddar. I'll even take anything sliced and nice like that, but these disgusting processed craft singles that remind you of American cheese is is the most insane thing that people spend their money on to me at the grocery store. And uh, even the real American cheese, the not-so-processed shit, is still disgusting. So, it's just uh, it's just pure fucking... Yeah, it's gross. What do, you, what do you put on your grilled cheese sandwiches? I do not eat grilled cheese sandwiches, my friend. We'll talk about that later. Uh, I mean, your, like, uh... I've, I've, made, <laughs> I've made some with Gouda slices. Um, it's an expensive grilled cheese, but it's much better. No kidding, yeah. Uh, my my underrated cheese is Fontina. Um, mm. I I've I've I haven't like had it on a lot of different things, but I've had it on my pizza a couple times, and something else that's escaping me that uh, it was a recent kind of discovery, and I I know it's it's got a bit of a sharper flavor that kind of drives certain people away. I think it's fantastic. I, I don't think it gets enough credit for uh, for being one of the more flavorful cheeses. And if you don't like the flavor, that's fine. I'm a picky eater 
to an extent as well. Sure. But I, I think it's a very flavorful cheese where a lot of the cheeses kind of, you can, they get kind of bland and, you know, which one's which and, you know, can't tell them apart. Fontina, very distinguishable. Okay. Um, I, I, I had a thought for underrated, but I, I don't think it has as many uses. I, I was initially going to say Bocconcini, um, but the texture throws people off and it's not super flavorful. It is something that sort of depends on the other ingredients. Um, now I can eat it by itself, but other people probably don't like it by itself. So, um, for underrated, I'm just going to go a different direction. I'm going to go Asiago, I think is just one where you're seeing places recently putting it on things. Oh, yeah. But it was not a cheese that I ever knew anything about until, I don't know, like five years ago. And now it's on, like, a bunch of stuff, and I think it's unbelievable. Um, so, yeah, I would go underrated. I think it's Asiago, because I think it is sort of like cheddar in the sense that I think almost anything you use cheddar cheese, you could probably use Asiago, and it would be probably better. So, probably. Yeah, that's that's fair. Asiago they're not like definitely... that similar, but they're they're just they're both easy going cheeses. I think I don't think Asiago is like a very abrasive taste or anything. Not that cheese really is in most cases, but yep, definitely uh, definitely underrated. I'll give you that. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite cheese has got to be Havarti. Yeah, um, like Havarti's in a walk. good in a walk. Havarti's like, pretty good. I I don't care if it's creamy Havarti, I don't care if it's jalapeno Havarti, I don't care if it's jack peppercorn shit brown colored Havarti give me a good slice of Havarti on a cold cut sandwich and call it a day. My delicious cold cut combo. I eat three a day to help keep me strong. Whole in one. Happy. Can I have one of those? Um, favorite cheese? Wow. It's... I don't eat it almost, like, very rarely. Like, maybe once or twice a year. But I think brie is fucking unbelievable. Like, I just... I cannot get enough brie. I I think it is so good. Um, For cheeses that I would maybe eat more often, uh, I am a really big Gouda fan, as I said. And that would be up there. Didn't like it at first. Uh, It's something that's grown on me before. I made burgers a few weeks ago on the barbecue, threw a slice of Gouda on there, uh, and it helped that the burger was really good, but it was it was just it was an unbelievable experience. Uh, the Gouda was great, and it was a packaged Gouda. We're not even talking, like, really good, expensive Gouda here. Um, so yeah, I like Gouda, but Brie is a nice, nice treat. Um, never really got into Brie. Nothing... Nothing personal against Brie Larson or anything like that. Just wasn't my cup of tea. So, yeah, you, my least I, favorite. I will not hear any anti Brie Larson discussion oh, on this podcast. Yeah, and you won't get any. Yeah, I'm um, not. I'm not hearing that. My my least favorite is uh, anything that's like aged for a long time, and uh, that is kind of capped off with the idea of blue cheese. Um, if there is uh, something uh, <laughs> dead that is growing on yeah. your food, uh, yeah. don't eat that food because uh, that's that's not good anymore. It's, it's gone bad. 
Yeah. Um, and blue cheese is the worst. You people that eat blue cheese for fun, you, you fuck off. Just stop. Stop. So this is why it's an interesting discussion for me is you asked me if I like cheese. And James, I, I, I don't, I don't hate people who are picky eaters. I don't, I don't really get it, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm not one. There are three foods on planet earth that I will not touch. You cannot fucking pay me to eat them. And two of them are cheeses, which is kind of interesting. My least favorite cheeses, because it's a tie for a couple different reasons. Uh, my first would be blue cheese, for every reason you just summarized. But I've even had it on things where I didn't know it was on there, and I'm like, eh, it's okay. Like, if you hide it, it's not the worst. But I will avoid it at almost all costs if I know that it's there. Uh, however, um, I will starve to death before I eat cottage cheese. That is fucking the most vile, Ooh. disgusting garbage uh, on planet Ooh. Earth, other than other than beets, which are the other food I won't eat. So, he, um, he, here's won't here's do my it. thing with with cottage cheese is mm-hmm. um, I don't consider it cheese. Sure. <laughs> like, you know how like it's like oh, it's cream like ice cream. I- ice cream's not cream. Ice cream <laughs> is its own type of food. Cottage cheese is like what I imagine like Satan kind of concocted to feed people when they arrive at hell like this is your meal for the day it's like what are you talking about this isn't food it's cheese well it's not cheese this is mush wrapped in decaying dairy products here's Um, here's what they did with cottage cheese they took cheese curds and they're like you know what might be good with this uh water Mm. tasty tasty water Let's just water down some fucking cheese curds. And you know, you know but then how they left it in the sun for like a week. Well, what's your favorite quality about cheese curds? Well, I would say my favorite quality about cheese curds is uh the texture. Well, what if we told you that we took away the texture, broke it down, and it's now just little bits surrounded by water. Oh. What do you use it for? Oh, just various Polish cooking. Okay. Just spooning it into your mouth yeah by the spoonful yeah uh, like again nothing against uh polish cooking because there's a lot of good polish dishes but again uh, the idea that they commonly eat borscht and stuff with cottage cheese there's a lot of lot of stuff with polish uh foods that i can't deal with i i don't know if i would agree that there's a lot of good polish dishes like <laughs> when when the polish get in trying right, to be nice they get it right for sure but like they get it wrong a lot i'm trying to be nice we got we got your girlfriend listens to this sometimes i'm dating a pole so (sighs) all right well that's that i haven't i haven't had to eat cottage cheese at her house yet so we'll see if that yeah i mean that's the good thing right is she's you know other things other than polish so it's not just uh yeah it's not just fucking halushki every time you go over there you know Jeez, oh, Lou. Uh, the cabbage rolls are fantastic. Come for the cabbage rolls. Uh, leave for the cottage cheese. I'll say that. Mm. Um, this has been Laced Up a Hockey Podcast. You know what I'll say, too, is um, my, my grandmother, uh, who is the, the best cook I've ever known in my life. Like, it's just... It's just in... I literally looked at my mom while we were eating dinner tonight, and I'm like, has, has, has your mother always been this good of a cook? And she's like, yeah. Like, always. 
I'm like, so this didn't, she just, is, this isn't like 78 years of, of like learning, right? Like this, she's always been this good. She's like, yeah, she's always been fucking unreal. She made, um, tonight she made pickerel rolls with cream cheese in the middle. Uh, and then breadcrumbs surrounding it. And then, so you get the pickerel and you got the cream cheese and you got the, the breadcrumb and whew. Honorable mentioned a cheesecake. Uh, I am James Cole. Yeah, but it's not, um, it's not can... a cheese on its own. It's just cream cheese is the right. cheese, right? That's That was the joke. Um, okay. You cannot find me anywhere because is... I don't do anything aside from this podcast. Is so. cheesecake a cake? Yeah. You consider it cake? It's got layers. No, I think it's cake too, but like there is a debate online that it's not cake. It's like a, it's its own thing. It's cheesecake or there's cake. Cheesecake's right, well, cake. Those, there's cake those... in the name. Those people can fuck off and all. Um, I, I, what, 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 what are we talking about? Oh yeah, I'm Brutes Battaglia from the North Side. Your name, yeah, right. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I have some articles up on the North Side. I will uh, undoubtedly have more. Um, now that uh, the NHL is returning to play, and I'm conceivably maybe the only. Uh, guy that writes about the Leafs on the website, so I uh, have a lot to write about. Going to see if I can get uh, Bates Bataglia on for the podcast next week. Okay. I feel like that might be confusing for the listener, but let's do it. Okay. All right. Should just have him um, on instead of me. Is that the plan? No, no, no. I've got to have one talk to the other. You know, it's it's like the Spider Man gif. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Goodbye. All right. See ya. You can fuck off and all! <laughs>